Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Well, you always go for the, le- for the low-hanging fruit first. You know, those people need, don't need a lot of convincing, so marketing to them shouldn't be too expensive. Hey, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to avoid becoming a Me Too company, how to create personas to improve your messaging and marketing, and what does it mean to go after the lowest hanging fruit customers. Today, I'm joined by Monica and Mark from Vistro. Vistro provides gourmet plant-based meals and juices delivered to your door and was started in 2013 and based out of Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Monica and Mark. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to have the both of you on. So tell us a little bit more about this business and the the, the product or the service that that you run. Well, um, Vistro, as you mentioned, started in 2013. Started basically out of a need. I used to work in uh, finance and I rarely had time to uh, to eat healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually we would get home at 11 or uh, 11 p.m. Mid- or midnight. And I would, uh, you know, most restaurants were closed. Uh, delivery wasn't an option. And so I ended up uh, making really bad choices. I started looking for different options in the supermarket and I uh, couldn't find anything that I liked that tasted good and that had simple ingredients that I could actually read. So uh, when I decided to get out of banking, um, I was trying to figure out what to do. And I, rem- in, you know, and I thought I saw an open. I thought this was a really good opportunity for young professionals. I started setting up the business. And while I was doing that, I was asking Monica, my sister, uh, a lot of questions because she has um, a lot of background in marketing and sales, uh, and uh, well, I my background is finance and operations. So um, while talking to her, I realized that uh, that it wasn't just for young professionals. This uh, would be great for uh, for anybody, pretty much. Uh, herself, in her case, she was a mother of three. Uh, she was a stay-at-home mom at the moment, and she thought it was a great uh, idea and a great opportunity for uh, for people like her because she spent most of her day uh, driving her kids around, preparing meals for them, but she rarely had time to prepare anything healthy for herself. So, so just like me, she was making a lot of very bad choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also, sorry, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background. We grew up in Costa Rica and we were used to eating all of our meals that were basically made from scratch with lots of fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And when Mark was you know, talking to me about this idea he had, I just, I loved it. It felt like it was the right time. And ultimately we decided that um, it would be great to be able to give people delicious food that felt like it was made at home, uh, but it was already conveniently prepared. So, you know, that was one of the reasons why we worked, you know, we've been working really hard to make sure that our meals feel like they were cooked at home. 
Mm-hmm. Now, what did the both of you see in the marketplace? I think, Mark, you had mentioned that you recognized that it was a good opportunity that you brought to Monica, and she recognized it was a good opportunity as well. Did you see anything in the marketplace or hear anything from friends and family that made you feel like this was the, the service or the business that you wanted to get into? Well, um, um, I did some, uh, some research before starting the business. Um, you know, went to different supermarkets, uh, went online. At that time, there weren't that many companies delivering online, uh, e- e-commerce companies uh, delivering food online. Mm-hmm. So, um, so your op- our options were very limited. Um, the supermarket, yeah, there were some um, some healthy options in the fr- frozen food aisle, but in order to be in the supermarket, they're full of preservatives. And I was looking for something cleaner, something more in line to what I grew up eating. Back, like we, we grew up eating back in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. We also, you know, it's always great to ask people, you know, you know, is this, how does this sound? Does this sound like something you would want to buy? And we did a lot of that. We did a lot of asking questions uh, to, you know, people that we knew in LA and people that we knew in New York. And, you know, uh, we both went to college in Texas. So people we knew in Texas, um, we just, you know, we knew like in our gut, I think we both knew that this type of service was something that everybody would be like, Oh my God, this is such a great idea. We just wanted to hear it from other people, if you will. Um, so we did a lot of that. Now, there's lots of uh, competition out there for not exactly what you guys are doing. I want to get into that in a second, but lots of competition recently about these kind of handcrafted meals delivered straight to your door. But your differentiator, it seems to be at least, is that all plant-based. Was that, or at least heavily plant-based, was that differentiator that you established from the start? Yes. Um you know, we were, you know, we were trying to figure out how we could make this different. Number one. And number two, how could we provide the healthiest possible meals uh, that we could come up with? Uh, at that time, we both read a bunch of uh, different books about uh, healthy eating, including one called the China study. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it. And uh, we were convinced it had a lot of very uh, compelling evidence on why plant-based is the way to go. And uh, we were already on our way to becoming plant-based. And um, so we decided that if we're going to do this healthy, you know, we might as well just uh, do it fully plant-based. Yeah, I think a concern that that lots of entrepreneurs have when they are trying to figure out what's the differentiator, what industry they they should be in, is that there's this fear of niching down, right? Getting too small, getting too too different, not too different, but differentiating to too small where you aren't serving as great of an audience anymore. So a lot of people tend to go much larger, try to go over super broad and it ends up, you know, not working out as well because then you're not different than what's out there. Did you ever have that fear of like, if we go plant-based or we, we push this kind of differentiation of focusing on plant-based meals that you could run into an issue where there, the market wasn't as big as if you had gone more broadly? Yes, that is actually something that we dealt with very early on in our business. Um, Mark and I were very convinced, like we were set on the fact that this was going to be not a fad, but a big trend. 
just because there were so many things going on in the marketplace. You know, for one, the environment is really at risk and we have to find different ways to find more sustainable sources of food. Mm -hmm. And that's been going on for a long time. But we did hear from so many naysayers who were like, oh, you guys are in a micro niche, not even a, a little niche, but a micro niche. So what we were work, what we've been working on really hard since the beginning is, is this. Um, our experience when we started transitioning into a plant-based diet with the vegan community was very interesting because you would find we we found a lot of a lot of vegans who were very exclusive and um, a little bit militant, if you will. Who you know back then this is four years ago things mm -hmm. have changed a lot. Um, you know back then if you're wearing you know leather shoes you're just not a vegan and that kind of a thing. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to encourage everybody to eat more plants. Our goal is not exactly to make everybody on the planet vegan. But our goal is to encourage people to eat more plants, to add more plants to their diet because it's better for your health, it's better for the environment, it's better for the animals. There's really nothing bad about eating more plants, adding more plants to your diet. And what we have found is that that sort of marketing uh, spin that we've given our business since the beginning has served us incredibly well, especially as the market has, uh, you know, as the, as the plant-based movement has become a lot more mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, we have stayed at the forefront of this movement where we're very inclusive. We want everybody to eat more plants, even if you only eat, you know, plants, once a day or twice a week, it doesn't matter. Anything that you do is better for you and for the environment. Mm -hmm. So that's how we've been really differentiating ourselves. The other thing I wanted to uh, bring up really quickly that was a big differentiator for us early on was when we started the business, you know, the whole uh, meal kit delivery where, they, where you get ingredients delivered to your home was starting to become all the rage. And for us, you know, it, it sort of defeated the purpose. First of all, we didn't want to be a me too, but it really defeats the purpose because you're getting ingredients delivered. That's great. You didn't have to go to the market, but you still have to chop it. You have to prep it. You have to cook it. And then you have to clean up afterwards. So it's a wonderful experience. But when you're looking for a solution, that's not necessarily what those meal kits provide. So that's been a very big differentiator factor for us as well. We're a solution. Our meals are fully prepared. You just take them out of the freezer and you can heat and eat and love. Mm, so it's not just about the, the you know, uh, for a lot of meal kits are focused on, like you're saying, the activity of cooking. This is for people that don't have the time to cook already. So why add more of a problem to their lives, actually add a solution by having something ready for them already. 
Now you mentioned you mentioned that there are you're 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 marketing to marketing to of course people that are interested in plant based meals, but there are I guess different levels of passion, right? Like you said, you mentioned before how there's kind of the quote unquote militant vegans that are are, are very serious about every aspect of their lifestyle to make sure that it's uh, you know doesn't have any impact on, on animals, and then there are people that you know that, that maybe practice meatless Mondays only once a week, like you're saying. Well, abstain from eating meat. Now, do you have to market to these two groups differently because there's such a wide range of passion, or maybe even reason for them to to uh, want to eat plant based meals? You know, we've we've stayed away from um, marketing to these groups in a very different way. The way we've done that, and I think we've sort of covered all groups in general, is we've stayed on the path of we're giving you meals that are healthy and that are plant-based. So we don't talk about the animals. We don't talk about mm-hmm. you know, any of the political issues. We just focus on our food is a hundred percent plant-based. It's made with organic ingredients. It's really delicious and it's conveniently fully prepared. On the other hand, there's uh, different messages that we Put out there depending on uh, on what kind of people they are. For example, when you know when we want to reach vegans, vegans are already convinced that this is the healthiest way to be, mm-hmm. or, you know, or vegetarians. So it's a completely different message. You know, that's those are what we call our uh, low hanging fruits. They they already know the benefits of a plant based diet. Uh, then to people to uh, carnivores, we send out a different message. We tell them, you know, just. Uh, add a little bit more vegetables to every meal and you're going to notice a difference in your life. So uh, so we do, we look at, uh, as far as messaging, we look at who uh, we're looking at and yeah, yeah, everybody gets a different message. Uh, you know, some of them are a little bit harder to reach than others. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So what's your your method for understanding how to craft a message for these different types of customers? Um, we created early on and we're constantly tweaking it. We created personas based on the type of customers that we wanted to reach. So, you know, we created a persona for people who are strictly vegan. We created a different persona for people who are, you know, vegetarian slash vegan. We created a different persona for moms, you know, who want to eat healthy and feed their kids and their family healthy food a totally different persona for um, young professionals, especially millennials who are really connected to the fact that what they put in their bodies affects the way they feel. So we have an overarching marketing message that is very welcoming to everybody in general, but each one of these personas gets a little bit more targeted according to their needs and you know the the cost benefit analysis for each one of them. Mm. Now, what's a maybe going to give the audience an idea? Like, what is a for people that don't know? What's a persona, and how do you go about creating one? What's your process? So, a persona is basically a um, it's like a depiction of a group of target customers. So, you know, if you are selling sneakers. Uh, your personas are probably going to be on one hand athletes, on the other hand, you know, uh, people who exercise for fun. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to divide 
your you know your whole world of customers into more specific groups that have that are more homogeneous so that you can target them with messages that are relevant to them because think about it this way if you um if we go ahead and say oh you know take our Easter meals to lunch take you know take them to the office for lunch well what happens to the stay at home moms mm-hmm. who don't go to an office for lunch or what happens to you know people who live in rural areas who perhaps work from home remotely you know we want to make sure that every marketing message is uh is you know caters to the individual group by uh hitting them with a message that's going to resonate and that's what personas do for us now can you create too many personas or is there a magic number that you try to 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 keep it at Yes, you can always create too many, which is never a good idea because then you're really diluting your message too much. So we've created four different personas. Um, You know, depending on your business, how broad or how niche your business is, you'll create, you know, a few less or a few more. But we found that four happens to be a sort of the magic number for Vistro. It really allows us to cover um, a pretty good, probably about 85% of our customers. Um, and then, you know, we've, like I said, we've been tweaking our persona since the beginning because the market has changed a lot. So in the beginning, we had to provide messages with a lot of education to consumers who really were not um, aware or, you know, didn't know much about being vegan. Now we have to provide a lot less education because there there's so much more information in the marketplace so personas you know your personas are not something that's static it's something that evolves with your business um we actually are considering adding one more persona just because we have found that we have a lot a lot of customers who are purchasing um meals for their elderly parents Um, So up until now, we hadn't targeted them specifically, but it seems to become more and more of a, you know, of a a thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you, how did the both of you or how does the company make sure to stay in touch with the personas? Um, Well, so far, the, the best way we have found that is I run customer service and I will get on the phone and answer phone calls. I'm on email. I answer emails. I need to keep, one of us needs to keep their finger on the pulse of what our customers Mm -hmm. are doing. What are they asking for? What's, what are their issues? What's happening? So I do a lot of, um, I do, I do a lot of customer service. It's the best way to find out, you know, what's happening. What are they liking? What are they not liking? And it's also good because uh, of the way the business is set up. Monica talks directly to the customers. And whenever we see a problem with whether packaging or one of our meals, uh, she immediately tells me and it gets gets fixed very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, customer service, it tends to be, in, in all the successful entrepreneurs I've spoken to, customer service tends to be the last thing that they want to give up because, like you are saying, it's the best way, sometimes the only way to have your finger on the pulse of 
your customers in the industry. So I think that that's, that makes a lot of sense that that's the best way for you guys to understand your personas and see how they evolve. Now, one thing, Monica, you mentioned was that the marketplace has become much more educated now about plant-based meals, plant-based diets. Now, how does that change your marketing when your marketplace becomes more educated on the benefits, on the the possible options, on, on basically everything that you had to spend so much time in the early days teaching them about? Now that they know about it, how does that change your marketing? It actually makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, having to educate your customer is really expensive because you have to touch your customers many more times than you would with something that they're already familiar with. So we find that as the marketplace becomes more flooded with information about plant-based eating, our marketing has changed and it has become a lot more uh, specific with what our product is. So we're no longer needing to teach people the benefits of a plant-based diet. Now we get to talk about how our product fits into their lifestyle, how Mm. Bistro Meals fit into their everyday life. Um, And, you know, it's a lot more fun because now we get to really highlight how delicious our food is. We get to highlight our customer reviews. Um, You know, we get to talk about the convenience of having our food already prepared. And the other thing that um, I meant to talk about a little earlier, our food is made fresh, but it's delivered frozen. And the reason we did that is also, again, for convenience, because when you have fresh ingredients in your refrigerator, it's like you have all this pressure to, you have to use them or they're going to go bad. And when they go bad, you have to throw them away. And there's nothing worse than throwing away good food, especially good food that you paid a lot of money for. So we found that by providing our meals frozen, it allows you to feel, to not feel that pressure. So you can come home and say, oh, I don't really feel like cooking today. Oh, I have great bistro meals in the freezer. But you can also come home and say, you know what? I want to cook today. And you don't have to worry about eating bistro meals right away. Mm, I like that. So w- when you have this persona right now, you have a good understanding of your, your customers on a day-to-day basis. How do you actually use this, this persona? Well, we use our personas when we... Um, When we send out emails, we segment our lists based on personas and we deliver messages that are specific to who they are. We don't do it all the time uh, because there are certain messages that are pretty, you know, wide and widely accepted and they fit everybody in general. Like when we have a promotion, those fit everybody. Uh, But, you know, sometimes we have different content messaging that is more appropriate for one persona than others. You know, for us, it's important to, to be relevant, to stay, you know, to stay engaged with our customers. And in order to stay engaged with them, we need to provide them information that is important to them and that is relevant to their life. And so we use it a lot with emails, like I said, we use it a lot in our advertising, in our Facebook targeting. Um, when we do ads for different publications, we um, highlight different things. Like if we put an ad in Veg News, then you know we don't need to 
we don't need to talk about the fact that our food is plant-based. We talk about the convenience and the deliciousness of it. When we put an ad in, in a, a different magazine that's perhaps a little bit more mainstream, we do have to talk about how our food is plant-based. So we use our personas to inform our all of our marketing on a daily basis and to target consumers uh, more specifically and efficiently. Mm. Now, did you always start with these personas because... Right now you have four personas and just hear you talk about how you differentiate the marketing and the emails and the ads. Four personas means essentially four times the work, right? How do you, how did you start? Did you start with four or did you build up from, from just having one? We did not start with four and it took us a while to, to get to the personas. When we started the business, um, we, the first thing that Mark and I needed to know was is there a real need in the market for our product? So we reached out to our lowest hanging fruit, people who are vegan and who've been vegan for a while. So we reached out to um, a lot of vegan bloggers. We sent them sample packs and we spoke with them and we, we wanted to hear what they had to say. These are people who live, you know, at the time who lived a plant-based life and we wanted to know if this was something that they found useful, that they cared about, that they didn't. We, we needed to know. Um, the response was overwhelmingly positive, which was amazing because as they started writing about our service, it provided us with, you know, we, we started growing. It provided us with growth that we wouldn't have known how to get. So in our first couple of years, we grew really in a, in, in a very organic, no pun intended, of course, in a very organic way, um, in a very guerrilla way. We didn't have any money to spend on marketing or really like any significant money to well, spend. Um, um, Monica mentioned before how four is the right number because you don't want to get your message diluted. When we started, we couldn't do four because we, you know, our resources, we didn't have enough resources to be able to uh, invest enough uh, in each one of the personas. So initially for us, it was uh, very simple. It was, um, you know, people that are already know the benefits of a, of a plant-based diet and the people that don't. And as the company kept growing and our resources started growing, then we were able to get to hone in on exactly who our customers were and we were able to develop those four. Mm, so you, basically, I think what you're getting at too is that when you're first starting out, you should go after the customers that are already convinced that they need a solution. Well, first they're convinced that they have a problem and they're convinced that they need a solution for it first. Is that right? Well, you always go for the, for the low-hanging fruit first. You know, those people need, don't need a lot of convincing. So marketing to them shouldn't be too expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and it also gives you momentum. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of them, as Monica said, you have to educate them. You have to give them a lot more information. You have to hit them a few times through different channels. So those are a little bit more expensive. So definitely, you know, when you're starting out a business, look for the low-hanging fruit first. Yeah, and, and definitely spend time reaching them because... Once you have some momentum going with your, you know, your perfect customers, these are the people who know your product, who are totally on board, then you can start spending some time and money on the people who you need to educate or the people who you would like to buy your product. 
Mm. Now, once you've won over the lowest hanging fruit customers, in your case, the vegans that already were convinced, that already knew about this particular problem and, and your solution for it, does their support help you get access to, I guess, the next level, the next easiest customers to go after? How do you use their support early on to, to kind of, I guess, leap into the next group? Yeah, our our original customers were our biggest fans and our biggest ambassadors. So, you know, once they found us and they loved us, they talked. They all talked about it. They talked within their communities, but they also talked to their friends and family who they've been trying to convince to go vegan for years and years. But now here's an easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. So you know, they were really our, our biggest referral source. I mean, for, you know, for the first couple of years, we grew mainly on referrals. Also, you know, people in this uh, type of market, they're very vocal about their experiences. And when they find something they like, they like to, you know, talk about it, recommend it to other people. And that's what happened with us. They started writing tons of reviews, very positive reviews uh, on our website, so that helped us a lot because when people that are not uh, plant-based or they're not vegan or they're not vegetarian visit our website, they can read through hundreds and actually thousands of reviews and see what people think about uh, about our meals. And, you know, nowadays, you know, nobody buys anything unless you know that it's, uh, it's well-reviewed. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Now, I think food, in my opinion, food-based businesses are among the hardest to run and probably the hardest to get started because you have perishable inventory, right? You can't just sit on it and, and hopefully sell it over a span of a year. You can't let food sit around for that long. Now, when you were first starting out, how did you manage this issue where the inventory was perishable and you needed essentially customers as soon as possible to, to buy? Well, we're, we, in the beginning, we would manage it the same way that we're doing it right now. Uh, we work on, <clears throat> on basically uh, just-in-time. So we work on a week's worth of inventory, which means that whatever we're cooking this week is going to be shipped out next week. And um, now it's a lot easier because now we can forecast. Uh, but when we first started, it was basically I was, we were just uh, grabbing orders as they came in. Um, you know, and we were working kind of like a restaurant. And it, it also, this is also a giant testament to Mark's genius. And, uh, you know, I would say this behind his back. I say it to his face. I'm just blown away at his ability to forecast and purchase inventory. I mean, it, when I tell you, like, we don't have any waste. Also, our chef is pretty amazing. So he'll make... You know, he makes vegetable broth out of like the parts of the vegetables that we don't use in the meals. Like he's really incredibly resourceful. So we, you know, and and we work hard to be a sustainable business, Uh, but it's hard. You're right. The food businesses are very hard to set up. Logistics are very intense. And it's, there's a lot, a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we talk about forecasting, it's not just forecasting uh, food, it's forecasting all sorts of supplies that are needed in order to get that food into our customers' homes. Um, in the three and a half, almost four years that we've been in business, uh, we've uh, never been short of anything. And that's uh, thanks to the systems that we put in place since day one. 
So managing it, all of this at the beginning, you found no difference between what it was like at the beginning compared to when you had to scale it up to you know many many more customers. Well, of course, of course, there are a lot of differences. Uh, but you know, but the system was set up in the beginning, and all we had to do is we had to adapt it as the, as volume kept growing. Um, we used to, and actually ended up working in our favor. Uh, we used to work out uh, out of a very very small facility with very limited space. So you know, when we first started the business, we didn't get that many orders uh, each week. Uh, so whenever I bought inventory, we could have, for example, when it comes to packaging inventory, I could have uh, a month worth of inventory back then. Um, but, you know, we kept growing, we kept growing, and then it got to the point where, you know, I was buying uh, boxes and I was buying trays and, and insulation it, pretty much every week, uh, which is uh, very nerve-wracking because you don't know if everything's going to arrive on time. Uh, and it's not a good way of uh, you know managing a business, but it was what we could do because we outgrew our facility very quickly. Okay. Now we uh, last year we moved to a much larger facility, so we have uh, plenty of space. So now we work on about two months worth of inventory when it comes to packaging, and but when it comes to food because it's perishable, we still work on a week's worth. Mm. The other uh, benefit we had that you forgot to talk about. In the beginning, when we were in this really small facility, we were in Thousand Oaks, which is right where there are tons of organic farms. So in our backyard, we had tons of organic farms. And, you know, since we worked order to order, we could just run down the street and go to the farm and pick up what we needed and then come back to the office. Um, it was definitely a luxury that we had that we did not anticipate when we got that. Uh, facility, but it really worked to our advantage in the beginning. Mm, so that's a nice surprise for your business. What about obstacles? What obstacles surprised you with starting a business like this, where it's food-based and the inventory is perishable and requires so much uh, skill in forecasting? Well, um, we've had a lot of interesting hurdles to, to overcome. The first one um, early on in the beginning was packaging. So we had to figure out how to ship a box full of food with dry ice straight to the customer's door and get it there in enough time so that the food would arrive frozen. And that was actually fine because Mark had done all these tests on the packaging and it all, you know, it all worked out great, except you, we had to use a, you know, we have to use a shipper and now we're depending on a third party to deliver our packages. And, you know, FedEx is amazing. And really the, the amount of times that we have issues with them is minimal compared to the amount of orders we ship, but we were dependent on them delivering on time. And every once in a while there would be some sort of weather issue and our packages wouldn't get there and our customers would be mad and we had to address that right away. Another problem that we, another obstacle that we had was uh, in terms of, of the actual packaging. We used to use plastic trays uh, and um, every time we shipped, um, you know, sometimes because of the temperature of the dry ice inside the package, uh, the the plastic trays would become very brittle, and in some cases they would shatter uh, while they were in transit. 
So it took us some time. We looked around. We talked to uh, many different suppliers, and we finally found um, trays that are made out of uh, carton, uh, which ended up working better for us because they are fully compostable. Uh, and of course, they don't shatter while in transit. They do have their uh, their weaknesses, but overall, it's worked much better, and it portrays a better image um, uh, of the company. The, an image that we are trying to uh, to portray to our clients, which is uh, we are uh, an eco friendly company. Yeah. The um, the other hurdle that we actually turned into a big opportunity for us was customer service. So I think we realized early on that we needed to have really amazing customer service. And early on in, in our in our business, we talked about um, the Nordstrom uh, customer service business school case, you know, that everybody that goes to business school reads about and studies. And you know, Nordstrom has, I'm sure you know this, the most incredible customer service. And we decided early on that, yeah, we had, a, you know, we had issues here and there and the packaging would shatter and the, the packages wouldn't get delivered. But the way that we resolved the issues was much more important than the actual problem. And it gave us an opportunity to build relationships with our customers where they feel like, our company isn't just one of those, you know, incognito companies. You don't know who's behind it. You know, there's a there's people behind our company. There's people who care. That's why we have our faces on the website because we want to make sure that your experience with our company is excellent. We want to make sure that every step of the customer's experience with Vistro is amazing. Mm, makes sense. So, can you can you share a story or an example of how uh, how you can go above and beyond in customer service so that you can turn around a problem into an opportunity to connect with your your customer? Yeah, absolutely. And this happens all the time. Um, a customer will call and say, you know, one of the packages came open. One of the packages of X came open. And it happens, you know, packages... Uh, sometimes the, the drivers are not very careful with our packages, even though the boxes says, say, say fragile, <laughs> handle with care. Uh, you know, you just don't know what happens in the journey. And every once in a while, the packages, the individual meal packages will open. So we always, always give customers a credit that is above and beyond the price that they paid. So we want to compensate them for not only the meal that was open, but also for the inconvenience of having to, you know, throw it away or having to deal with that, having to call, having to email. So we always give customers more than they spend when they have small issues like that. When they have bigger issues, for example, um, you know, FedEx delivered and it says that it was delivered, but the box is nowhere to be found. Perhaps it got stolen. Perhaps it was delivered somewhere else. It's not really the customer's fault. So we always ship them a new box. 
Mm, and, makes sense. Yeah. And I'm hesitant to say this on uh, on a podcast. <laughs> I don't want people to go, oh, well, hey, great. I'll order Beaster and I'll call them and tell them that nothing showed up and they'll send me another package. No, I think most people are are going to be are not going to take advantage of that. That that's right. great though that you're you're able to do that because a lot of times we, uh, you don't want to have, to have a short-sighted approach to your business, right? You don't want to think about the bottom line at all points because, you know, I bet in the long term, your bottom line is improved because of this kind of customer service, even if you're operating at a loss for that particular customer at that particular Absolutely. time. Absolutely. The, and, you know, the amount of goodwill that, that we're able to build by going above and beyond, fixing the issue and doing it with a smile and making the customers happy um, is amazing. And, and this is something that every business owner should keep in mind. It is much less expensive to keep a customer than it is to find a new one. So let me say that in a different way. It is much more expensive to get a new customer because you lost a customer than it is to do what it takes to keep that customer happy. Mm. I like that. That's an important point because like you're saying, the numbers, if you if you are going strictly by the numbers, it still works out in your favor to go above and beyond and and provide that kind of great customer service. Um, now, I want to take a step back and talk to talk about uh, the forecasting that, that you guys have perfected. What's the process for forecasting a business like this? Like, what do, how do you how do you begin to, to to estimate what you need for the coming week? Well, uh, of course, in the beginning, it was a, a lot harder because there was a lot of fluctuation. We would have, you know, really good weeks and then not so good weeks. Uh, but once you have enough data and uh, and you're growing at a pretty constant uh, rate like we have since the beginning, we're pretty much growing at about 300% per year, uh, then it makes it a little bit easier. So... Uh, so now the way I do it is I just look at data. I forecast based on um, on averages that we've been. So we have uh, 50 different products that we sell. So I have to forecast for each individual product. And at the same time, I always uh, leave a cushion for growth because we know that each week is going to be, uh, the volume is going to get higher. Mm-hmm. And do you use any kind of software to help manage all of this? Well, we use um, NetSuite, which is uh, a small version of an ERP system, mm-hmm. uh, but the forecast uh, I do it manually. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of like my my baby. Your system. It's it, I am always fascinated by Mark's ability to do this on Excel spreadsheets manually. Well, the, you know, the thing is that I, you know, since I've been doing it every single week since um, since we started the business, then I have so much information, so much data in that spreadsheet that it makes it a lot easier to uh, to forecast. Uh, you know, the spreadsheet's already done. There's the formulas are in place, and all you have to do is uh, plug in, you know, the, the numbers, and and you get basically you get what uh why you need to prepare that particular week. Yeah, I bet the the formulas in that spreadsheet are is a sight to look at <laughs> with all those calculations you have going on. Yes, which is why nobody touches that file except for me. <laughs> <laughs> it truly is your baby. It makes sense. 
so I want to talk a little bit about the the Facebook advertising that, that you you've both or you guys have been able to to do. It sounds like it's what you've been able to use to get that right message to the right persona to the right person. Talk to us about your process. Like how did you how do you approach what's your strategy for for advertising on Facebook? So Facebook has been really incredible because um we've been able to hone in on audiences that are very, very close to our personas and then therefore deliver messages that are very on target um, to them. Also, you know, Facebook is an incredible tool for businesses because it allows you to reach a lot of people on not a lot of money. So we're very, very efficient with our Facebook advertising. We, um, we're constantly testing new audiences and messages to the audiences. We turn, you know, we turn ads on and off, uh, very quickly. We're very data driven and everything in our business has to be ROI positive. So our, the return on investment that we get on every penny that we spend has to be positive. Um, if it's not that gets turned off and something else that is positive gets turned back on. How do you decide what should go into the, into each ad when you are testing it out? Um, well, right now we work with a digital marketing agency and they do all of the day to day. They're pretty amazing. Um, when we didn't have them and we were doing it ourselves, the, the strategy was to break up the audiences in a way that would basically the audience would tell us what their interests were. And so we would do the, um, the messaging that would appeal to them. So for example, when we talk to vegans, um, who let's see, when we talk to vegans who like to garden, for example, I'm just, you know, picking a random audience. Um, we talk to them about the quality of our ingredients. Um, when we, you know, when we talk to moms who have um, kids under the age of five, we talk to them about the convenience of having their own lunches on the go. Um, you know, so we're able to test the messaging very quickly. We, you know, we can spend a few hundred dollars testing it. And if we get positive results, we put more money behind it. So it really allows us to have, you know, and, and the thing about Facebook messaging is that it's super easy because it's the message goes in the text. So you can have an image that you use for 25 different messages. The image is the same. It's beautiful shots of food, but the actual message will say different things. You know, for example, in the first scenario where we talk to vegans who like the garden because they care about the, um, you know, the ingredients, we show them this beautiful food and we say, and the message will say something like, you know, made with the best organic ingredients locally sourced because they care about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So when you work with a digital agency now that runs your Facebook ads, what is it like? What do you, how do you interact with them on a, on a daily basis? We actually um, interact with them on a weekly basis now, but we've been working with them for about a year. When we first started working with them, we had a lot of very long strategy meetings. So we would sit down, 
you know, it was very important to us that they not only buy into the concept, buy into the product, we sent them food a bunch of times, um, but we wanted them to be able to use the same voice that we use in all of our marketing. And the voice, our voice, our, our, our brand voice is very upbeat, is very friendly, it's very uh, light, um, and it's very approachable. So in the beginning, we literally, like they sent us a spreadsheet with all the messaging that they would re- that they were recommending based on the audiences. And we went through it and said, you know, this, this sounds good. This needs tweaking. This is a no, this is a yes. We don't like this audience. Let's, you know, let's go in this direction. So we did a lot of tweaking up front. Now uh, they are, you know, they, they, they got the whole thing down. So now what we work on is every week we talk about results. What's working? What's not working? Where do we need to put more money? Uh, where do we need to shut down ads? Which audiences are not responding very well? Let's test some different messages for them or let's not you know, message that audience for a while. So it's a lot more tweaking and a lot more uh, optimizing than it was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Can you give us an idea of how successful the business is today? How much has it grown since the beginning? So, um, um, as I mentioned before, we've been growing about 300% per year. Uh, last uh, year, uh, revenues were uh, $3 million. This year, we're expecting somewhere between uh, 5.5 to 6.5 million. That's beautiful. So what do you guys have planned for the remainder of this year? What are some goals that you want Vistro to hit in the next year? So one of the probably the most exciting goals, I think, or the most exciting for me, is that we are launching a corporate program. And our corporate program is very cool because what we're doing is we want to bring healthy food into corporations, into businesses. So we we would come in and we would put a Vistro branded freezer and keep it stocked with Vistro meals so the employees can have healthy, delicious, plant-based lunches. They don't have to leave. They're getting good food for good focus, for good brain power. Um, and, you know, so that's very exciting. We have seen a very nice trend in the corporate world where companies are much more concerned with employees wellness Mm -hmm. and the last piece of the puzzle is the food and it's the hardest piece of the puzzle because if you pay for the employees to go to restaurants if you give them you know lunch allowances they're going to choose what you know what's convenient what's close or what they want and it's not necessarily healthy Mm -hmm. and if you buy produce they're not going to necessarily take the time to make it. Mm. So what do you do? You, you know, a lot of companies give them snacks, but snacks don't really give them the right kind of brain power because when you have sugary snacks, you get these big spikes in your glycemic levels and then you get these big drops. That's why people are needing their coffee, you know, at 10 a.m. And then they're needing their coffee again at 3 p.m. And another coffee at 4.30 to get through the afternoon. So our meals are very, very reasonably priced. And this program, I believe, is really going to uh, 
to, you know, put us into a different, um, into a different market just yeah. because we'll be able to provide these companies with their last mile, the food. For sure. I think that's a great idea. I, the way you describe it makes a lot of sense. And I think businesses will jump on this idea of feeding their employees healthy food. So vistro.com, again, is the website, is the store. It's V-E-E-S-T-R-O.com. Thank you so much, Monica and Mark. Thank you so much, Felix. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. A lot of times you get quicker results if you really just change the entire, you know, the entire thing up and change the photo, even just change the product that you're showing. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.